Hi there and welcome to Weight of Freight, a podcast series where we look at the intricate and powerful connections between freight and commodities. In this episode, we'll be focusing on the dry bulk freight market. And we're very lucky to be joined by Ulrich Urenfeld Andersen, who's the chief executive of Norwegian ship owner Golden Ocean. Ulrich, thanks for joining us this morning. So we're going to be looking back at 2020, uh, of course, very briefly, which is a highly unusual year. Um, we're still seeing some after effects of that in 2021 um, in terms of the dry bulk demand and trade flows and so on. Uh, but what what do you expect to be the main drivers for the dry bulk market um, in 2021? Um, well, China, China, China. Um, I think if we are to point to one single factor, China would be uh, uh, be it. I mean, if you want to take the temperature on the dry bulk market, it's good to look to to China. And uh, what we see there is a return of GDP growth. Uh, well, actually, they'd have a positive GDP growth last year as one of the only countries. But 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 this year, uh, we expect at least around eight percent. So China will be important. Um, obviously, also the Brazilian export of iron ore, uh, which has uh, been hampered since the yeah, disaster of the of the dam in 2019. But but things are shaping up for Brazil as well. So to do it short, China and Brazil would be the two main uh, main drivers uh, we are uh, we are looking for uh, this year. Okay, and certainly the um, Brazil to China iron ore trade is very important for the the Cape size market. Um, but we've already had quite an unusual start to the year, uh, particularly in the Panamax and Camsomax markets, um, which is another area that you're um, quite heavily involved in. Um, and and to a large extent, this seems to have been driven by a strong Chinese demand for Brazilian grains, um, which has, has has really well tightened the the, the global. Um, Panamax market to some extent. Um, well, firstly, do you do you see that as the main driver so far of of, of this, and 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 do you expect it to be sustained um, over the course of the year so far, or over the rest of the year, I should say? Uh, yeah, you're right. It's been unusual start to the year in many ways. It's been probably the best start in ten years across the board we have seen in, in the dry cargo market. So that's um, that's that's obviously a positive. It has been especially unusual uh, in the sense that we have seen Kamsa and, and Panamax rates, the, the, the smaller segment, being um, uh, outperforming the Cape size uh, vessels. As you point to, it has been a well, it's been a combination. There's, there's really one factor, uh, you know, defining the market. But but certainly we have seen uh, a lot of holdup of vessels in South America. Uh, we have seen more cold flows as well, which is important for the Panamax sizes. And then we have seen. A lot of ice in the in the Atlantic, and that has uh, led to a to a squeeze of, a, of of tonnage. So, so this has, you know, these factors combined have have led to a very strong for the season. Um, uh, 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 sorry, Kamsamax uh, Panamax market. We we were so fortunate to fix one ice class vessel at at seventy thousand dollar per day, and it's it's obviously completely unheard of um, normally. So so yes, that has led to a to a to a special situation. I don't think it's sustainable to have Panamax uh, rates outperforming Cape size rates. Eventually, this has to mm-hmm. drop back to the to the normal. Uh, what can you say? A hierarchy where the Capes are making more than the Kamsas. Um, at the moment, yeah, it's a question of the. Kamsomax gonna drop are the Cape side rates uh, going to going to improve and uh, yeah, I guess that remains to be seen but but generally speaking we expect a steady market the next month I would say for both uh, segments before potentially we'll see the seasonality kick in and aid the the Cape mar- uh, Cape market up uh, and also over and above the Kamsas. 
Okay, and uh, I mean within that, um, you, so you mentioned um, seventy thousand a day, which is a, a, I mean, quite frankly, an incredible rate for a council of experts. <laughs> um, and uh, we noticed uh, in in the in the Pacific Basin, for example, um, rates on the the Pacific round voyage routes, Indonesia to South China, um, rising to the highest that we've seen since uh, I think the very end of two thousand thirteen, um, and. Uh, it's it's been a bit of a feature of the the, the, the pandemic, uh, and not just in dry bulk in other markets that we assess as well. That that you, what you've seen, you saw a general drop off in trade over, uh, around the world, um, but uh, an opening of new and and unusual uh, trade flows, or uh, you know a, a magnification of new and unusual trade flows in some cases, and and what that's kind of led to has has been quite a bit of volatility and. Do you think that what we've seen at the start of this year could be a sign that we are generally heading towards a more volatile period for freight rates? Um, yeah, first on the on the 70,000 fixture, of course, it's important to underline it's a one-off fixture. It was an ice-classed vessel that, that what can you say, was in a very fortunate position. So it's not, it was not, a, right. it was not to right describe the market. The uh, as, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it, it, it's a signal of, uh, of, uh, of what what's happening, right? Um, with regards to freight volatility, uh, absolutely volatility is here to stay. And even if we believe this market is going to be positive uh, this year, it's going to be with volatility. What we do expect, though, is that the volatility will happen around a higher level than what we saw last year. Um, but that we will have, can you say, regional imbalances, uh, seasonality push uh, on different uh, sectors in different areas at different times. Uh, yes, of course, that will happen and that will lead to volatility. But as I say, we believe the volatility will 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 be around a higher a higher mean, so to say. Okay, and um, the the one one other factor that's still ongoing in the dry bulk market is the um, coal dispute, the trade dispute between China and Australia. Um, China, uh, as far as I'm aware, is still not accepting Australian coal and um, Chinese domestic prices have actually come down a little bit and we're moving out of the the, the real peak season um, in terms of uh, you know, well, the, you know, the weather getting warmer and so on in China. So maybe there's a little bit less pressure now uh, for that those restrictions on Australian coal to come to an end. Um, we anticipated that uh, this would have a, a, a positive impact for dry bolt rates, or it would lift dry bolt rates, um, because China would be forced to look further afield for coal imports. And also, of course, there is an, an operational uh, aspect to that, because there, there's a number of ships that are, are still actually stuck off the coast of China carrying cargoes of Australian coal. Um, so I guess, you know, a couple of questions. First, were you affected at all by, by vessels being stuck? Um, and, 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 and secondly, looking forward to 2021, do you, do you see that this would have a, a big impact on, on trade flows and on rates in the dry bulk market? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of questions at the same time, but it's, it's very interesting because coal is a curious case. Um, so to start at the end, uh, yes, we were impacted by this. We had, uh, we had four vessels sitting um, in China, we had one sitting from July last year, which uh, got uh, rerouted uh, about a month ago. And we had uh, actually another vessel sitting for, what was it? Was it 150 days, I think, or maybe even more, uh, that just birthed this morning. So what we are seeing is that the vessels that are stuck up there are slowly being released. I don't think that is um, uh, the same as saying the tension between China and Australia is over. I think that will continue. But I think China is... is 
seeing that we have a welfare issue for for the seamen sitting stock there uh, for months and months on. Um, so so that's that should start with Golden Ocean. If we look at the at the larger perspective, uh, it is uh, important to 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 remember that last year we lost around 120 million tons of seaborne coal uh, because of COVID. So uh, the import into India and to China basically uh, collapsed. Um, what we are seeing this year is that it's returning. We see a lot of uh, uh, coal now going into uh, particularly China and, 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 and India. And we expect that to uh, to, to, to heat up uh, uh, over the course of the year as the economy sort of gets back on track. So it's, it's twofold. So we see this year uh, coal coming back as a, as a commodity again. And then we see it being allocated more inefficiently due to the due to the tensions that you're talking about. So we are already seeing coal being sourced from uh, from yeah from South Africa, from Colombia, even from the U.S. into the into Asia. And we see the Australian coal being uh, uh, being uh, rerouted around around China. So it's um it's it's the way we see it. It's it's positive for dry bulk. Uh, of course, we have a return of the coal flows, and they are uh, allocated more uh, inefficiently, leading to higher ton mile. So that's how we see uh, we see coal. Okay, thanks. And and um, so overall, a, a, a positive outlook then for 2021, and I suppose further forward as well. And Golden Ocean really has put its money where its mouth is um, to some extent, um, recently announced the purchase of 18 uh, new vessels, very modern Cape size and Campsile Max vessels from the private fleet of uh, its largest shareholder, John Fredrickson. Um, this seems like a bet on the market being strong in the future. Absolutely. Um, we believe in, uh, in, in, in the market. We think there are uh, very good positive outlooks, uh, certainly for this year, but uh, I think even culminating uh, more next year, we have a 30-year uh, low order book, and we have a return of GDP growth across the across the globe, but most notably with what can you say, China and India growing upwards eight uh, eight percent for China and 11 for for um, uh, for India. And these are the two largest dry bulk uh, commodity uh, importers. So yes, we see um, we see a situation where the where the supply demand balance is is, is looking um, is looking attractive uh, for the years to come. And with regards to that purchase, is definitely putting the money uh, where our mouth is. Uh, we believe this transaction uh, the right vessels bought at the right time and at the at the right price. Um, so very positive. Uh, transaction for uh, for Golden Ocean, which is also what we saw when we when we went out with a private placement, which was uh, oversubscribed uh, two and a half times in uh, less than uh, 30 minutes. So uh, it's not just us seeing this; it's also the uh, investors that seem to believe in um, in the future. And um, could you just just it's quite an interesting transaction. They uh, you know buying as I said, from the private fleet of John Fredrickson, who is Golden Ocean's largest shareholder. Um, could you maybe um, just give a little bit of background about the about the purchases? Absolutely. Um, it's uh, something that uh, we, the management in Golden Ocean, we've had our, our eyes on these vessels for some time. Um, they are uh, modern. I mean, they are all built between uh, 2019 and 2021. Three of them have not been delivered yet. So these are very high-performing vessels. Uh, as I said, these are the right vessels for us. They fit into our strategy of being 
uh, solely focusing on the large segments where we see the biggest upside on freight and asset prices. So we have had our eyes on that. We also think that uh, it was the right time to do this transaction um, from the point of uh, Golden Ocean. Uh, it's the lowest uh, point in the cycle uh, at the moment. If you look at the asset prices, probably 12 years, we haven't seen a lower point. And if you look historically, only a few times have uh, have the the secondhand prices been lower than, uh, than than what they are now so we think it's a it's the it's the right time and then of course with the price that's the that's the you know what people want to talk about how how do we ensure that this is an arms length transaction um uh, with that it's a uh, very uh, easy because uh, everything is done with fairness opinions and it's uh, we know what the market is in gold notion as well uh, and i think that uh, as i say with the oversubscribe uh, um Uh, private placement uh, is also an indication of uh, of uh, of the fact that that this is uh, this is uh, this is a good a good price at a, at a good time. I can I can tell you just give you one example. If we look at um, one of our competitors in the market, 2020 Balkos, they have uh, they have an implied value around. Uh, if you look at their share price at the time we did the transaction, and you look at what implied value that would be per vessel. That's on par with what we bought our vessels at, and they are—they have an identical fleet to those uh, capes we are buying. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that if we went to 2020 Balkans and asked if we could, if we could buy all their vessels at their current share price, we would be told no. So I think the fact that we have access to this kind of uh, transaction um, is uh, is very positive. And then I think finally, uh, uh, Mr. Fredrickson, he subscribed for more than his part of the, what can you say, of the pro rata uh, shareholding uh, he already had in Golden Ocean. So it's actually loading up in Golden Ocean, uh, also indicating that he he believes in this. So I don't want to put this up as a, as a John Fredrickson doesn't believe in, 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 in dry cargo, so he's selling and we are buying because we're believing. It's, it's a bit more complicated uh, uh, than that. I think there are more nuances than that. Okay, thanks. And it, it, again, it's, it is an interesting purchase, but because although they're very modern ships and and some of them were um uh, well some of them haven't been delivered yet as as you said um it is to all intents and purposes a second hand purchase and we we had a recent episode of this podcast where Randy Gibbons the shipping analyst at Jefferies uh, was on and um he made the point that actually second hand purchases of of relatively new ships Uh, could become a, a more common trend in the industry, um, considering tighter credit controls and environmental regulations that maybe make it more difficult to uh, finance and to choose new build vessels. Um, so, I, I mean, do you see this being a trend? Do you see these type of purchases such as, as what you have, have recently done um, being more attractive than new builds at the moment? And is it something that you think more people will be looking towards? I listened to the podcast. It was uh, really good. I, I recommend it. Um, uh, but yes, I thought there were some very good points in that. Obviously, it's something we are thinking about as well. Uh, if we can avoid to add to the to the new building uh, list, we would we would like to do so. Uh, if we can't buy at an attractive point in the cycle, we would like to do that. And I think the one of the major advantages by buying secondhand is that you get cash flow uh, immediately more or less right from the from the from the time that you take over the vessels so that's a that's a positive uh, element as well that said as i as i indicated before we have not seen a lot of liquidity in the new building uh, of what can you say on the on the modern tonnage because i think most people can read and write as well and they can also see that the that the outlooks are pretty good so there's not a lot of liquidity so it's that balance between 
between finding actually attractive vessels uh, to purchase um, uh, and uh, versus going for, for, for a new build. But for us, some of these considerations were definitely uh, uh, there. I will say that doesn't rule out that we could look at new buildings at some point because, you know, the technology is, uh, is moving extremely fast and the world is decarbonizing. Uh, and as much as modern vessels, they are uh, emitting less, there is a new uh, era waiting around the corner. So definitely it's something we are we are monitoring and tracking as well. Uh, and I'm not sitting here saying we are about to order, uh, but it's something any prudent ship owner will be monitoring. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. Finding the financing and, uh, and, and, and selecting the right technology um, is not as obvious as it used to be. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, the, the obvious questions around the right engine technologies are, are there, and, and I think there's still very much not um, a, a 100% answer to that. But um, I mean, I suppose aside from that, how is, is Golden Ocean preparing for upcoming environmental regulations? I, I know this is a topic very close to your heart. Um, what, what impact do you expect increased focus on sustainability to have to the industry uh, you know, as well as, as the, the questions around engine technology for new builds? For Golden Ocean, uh, decarbonisation is the most important element of our long-term strategy. Um, and uh, I think this transaction also proves that. I mean, we buy modern tonnets. Earlier in the year, we have divested uh, two of our oldest vessels, um, and we will most likely continue to, to, to divest. So decarbonisation is for us everything. Um, we believe it's going to impact the ship-owning model in ways that we have not seen before. Uh, we believe it will impact the uh, Obviously, the uh, investors, uh, they would be more interested in, in making sure that, that we bring our emissions down. We believe it will impact our customers. We are already seeing that they are more interested in finding out what is one single trade emitting. And we think they will, uh, over time, uh, have more and more and higher and higher requirements to, uh, to bringing down emissions. Um, we also think it uh, impacts our employees. We, uh, if you want to attract the best employees, you need to have some visions, you need to be part of decarbonizing the world um, and lifting that uh, responsibility. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we uh, will see the asset prices being uh, impacted heavily. I think there will be a two-tiered market, maybe even a three-tiered market at some point where we will see uh, high emitting uh, a tonnage, uh, having more difficulties being employed uh, and thereby having uh, probably a drop in there in the in the in the, in, in the values, whereas modern tonnets will will uh, will be worth more. So we think it um, it's an opportunity uh, more than a more than a threat, uh, and uh, that if you ace this transition, there's a there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of a uh, lot of money actually to be made on this as well. So so you can you can you can be green and stay in the black uh, for sure. <laughs> Good phrase. Um, I suppose with all these changes, um, as, as you mentioned, your customers already showing more interest in decarbonisation in, in transporting their products. Um, do you see there being a, an impact going forward on the cost of moving coal, grains, iron ore, whatever it might be from A to B as a result of the environmental regulations that the industry is 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 bringing in and that people are working towards? I mean, it's sort of a t two elements of the question. I think first is the question about coal, which is um, can you transport coal in a in, in the future? I think it's a relevant uh, 
consideration uh, to have. Uh, will the investors allow it, etc.? Um, Golden Ocean last year, uh, we transported, uh, I think, 6% or 7% of our ton mile was uh, was transported with coal. So we, we think we can eventually outface coal if we need to. We don't. We, we are not going to do that tomorrow, but we need to think about a future without coal for sure. Um, so that's the first uh, that's the first part. And now just remind me of uh, you know, the second part of the question. Um, well, it was, it was just about whether the move towards decarbonisation will or the mean pricing. higher will mean higher freight rates, effectively. Yeah. So, with regards to the to higher freight rates, um, yes, it will have to. It costs something. I mean, the investments that we are talking about here are so massive that uh, that uh, that the ship owners can't lift this uh, cost uh, on uh, on their own. It's not possible. We are looking at uh, more than $10 million uh, difference from on a new building with dual fuel versus non-dual uh, fuel. Uh, we are looking at vessels that will that will have difficulties being employed and thereby probably being, uh, uh, having to be scrapped at some point. And and that bill alone uh, is is not possible for the for the ship owners to live. But the but the good news in this is that um, I don't have the numbers for what it will cost the end consumer in dry, but I uh, but I saw some score from Maersk saying that uh, a pair of sneakers would uh, would uh, would uh, would go up three cent for the end consumer, uh, uh, and then they could do a zero emission shipping. So I think that the volumes we are talking about here are so large that that if we can pass this on, I'm sure that most people. Uh, in this world would be willing to uh, to to, uh, to to pick up this bill because ultimately let's be honest there's only one uh, group of people that can lift this bill at the end of the day and it is the end consumer yeah yeah no okay well uh, thank you very much um it's, it's been really interesting to to talk to you and to get your outlook for 2021 and certainly um as i said uh god nation really has put its money where its mouth is uh, with these vessel purchases so um we we hope that, that all that goes well i know that you're very busy finishing off those transactions and sorting everything out so we should probably let you carry on now so thanks very much for listening if you'd like to find out more about the dry bulk freight market you should check out argus freight which includes news analysis and prices from the industry. You can also visit the Way to Freight content space where we publish regular blogs, webinars and podcasts about the freight market. And head to argusmedia.com and the Argus blog to find out more about our extensive coverage of global commodities, including coal, metals and agricultural products. Thanks very much for joining us, Ulrich. Yeah, thank you very much.